Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we talk about how people within the BJP and the RSS have been reacting to the national crisis and what they feel the top leadership should be doing. We also talk about Himanta Biswa Sarma being appointed as Assam's new chief minister. But first, we talk about India's vaccine shortage. India is the world's largest producer of vaccines and has been for some time now. And yet, in the middle of the worst pandemic the world has seen in years, it is facing a shortage right now. Several states in the country have been complaining that they've had to pause or temporarily shut down their COVID-19 inoculation drives because they don't have enough doses. Now, even as its own citizens struggle, it is important to note that India, under an initiative called Vaccine Maitri, has exported more than 6.6 crore doses of COVID-19 vaccines to 93 countries. The initiative was launched in January and was suspended by the end of March. The idea was that it would give India goodwill. And the initiative got a lot of praise internationally. But 6.6 crore doses is a lot of vaccine supply. Together, it could cover the entire adult population of Delhi and Mumbai, complete with two doses. But it's not just about numbers. A recent analysis done by Indian Express's Jay Mazumdar shows that most of the countries that India had supplied vaccines to, they had been doing better in terms of the pandemic than India. And when we spoke to Jay, he explained that this was the case throughout the initiative. Throughout the vaccine, Maitre, it is not that uh, COVID load is uh, much worse right now after India has seen the recent surge. But uh, the situation was more or less the same even during the third week of January when Vaccine Maitri was launched. And uh, what we see is that uh, roughly 55 to 60 percent uh, vaccine recipient countries, they show fewer cases and fewer deaths per lakh throughout this export initiative. So India continued to supply vaccines to a lot of countries that were doing better than it was. And they are still doing better. In fact, Jay points out that until the end of March, when the second wave had taken the daily case count to 70,000, that time more vaccine doses had been exported to these countries than had been used in India. And despite all this, government officials were backing it. Like on March 17, when the second wave was clearly evident, External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar was giving backing to the Vaccine Maitri initiative by pointing to India's low COVID fatality and high recovery rates that resulted from the Prime Minister's leadership and the government's focused efforts. It is this outlook of human-centric global cooperation that is the driving force of Vaccine Maitri. We are all cognizant of the low fatality rates and the high recovery rates that resulted from the Prime Minister's leadership and the government's focused efforts. But there was an external beneficial impact of our capabilities as well. India could meet the spiking requirement for hydroxychloroquine and paracetamol and other relevant drugs across the world. Similarly, 10 days before Jay Shankar said this, the Union Health Minister Harshvardhan had assured people that unlike most other countries, India has a steady supply of vaccines. 
and that we are fortunate to have a global leader who insisted that vaccines should be provided to other countries with no strings attached. Now the other important thing to note is that India was contractually obligated to supply vaccines to countries. This is because India is part of the Global Vaccine Alliance, also called GAVI. So India had to export the vaccine that was paid for. And there is also the ethical obligation to supply vaccines to poorer countries under Global Vaccine Alliance. But uh, sustaining export while pulling the domestic requirement, that required some planning. Ideally, like most countries that had the capacity, we could have placed advanced orders to build stock at home. That would also generate the cash flow necessary for the manufacturers to increase production capacity, which would have taken care of both export that was already the companies were committed to and the the domestic requirement. Pre-booking the doses was supposed to be crucial. By December 2020, the Serum Institute of India, which is manufacturing the Covishield vaccine, had offered 10 crore shots at a discounted rate for domestic use. But the government was indecisive and hesitant about pre-booking more vaccines. And this is even after it had set itself a target to vaccinate 30 crore people by July 2021. And Jay says we don't know why India chose to do so. Why India did not pre-book is a mystery. We don't have the answer. But... uh... What's surprising is that as early as in October 2020, when we first heard from the government that there is a set target to vaccinate 25 vulnerable people in India by July 2021, that target was further enhanced to 30 crore in December. So seven to eight months window we had to administer vaccine to this population, 30 crore with two doses, that is 60 crore. Our vaccine policy allows up to 10% wastage, so that would go to 65 crore shots. Now, if we go by the simple maths that at the time in December, January, the production capacity in the country with the two manufacturers, and if we do a simple calculation, it becomes really tight to meet even the domestic requirement by July of this 65 crore shots. So without enhancing production capacity, there was absolutely no room for export. And even without export, it it would be difficult to meet the target. So it's really inexplicable why we did not um, pre-book, why we did not invest in time to enhance capacity, and then why we went on exporting so early. Now, since India was already obligated to send vaccine doses, Experts told Jay that India should have instead delayed and staggered the export, which India could have done, because the contract says that India needs to supply 400 million doses by this year. But it says nothing about whether X amount of doses need to be exported by a particular month. Because you have to understand that launching vaccine by three or, send, or starting to send out vaccines is not enough. It has to be sustained. Otherwise, uh, countries that have administered the first dose from the early consignments from India, maybe in a situation where they can't offer the second dose to those who have already taken the first dose if the export is suddenly restricted. So again, the idea is that uh, once you are sure of your logistics and stocks and production capacity, then this process makes much more sense rather than you start uh, before building capacity and then uh, reach a situation when it has to be halted. And uh, you have to also understand that uh, the vaccine supply from different countries are 
not the same. I mean, for example, uh, the supply from India is paid for. It's a discounted rate, but uh, it's built in in the contract with the Oxford vaccine that uh, a huge quantity would go from India for the poorer countries under the Gavi Who Alliance. But many other countries and manufacturers, they are providing uh, shots to the Alliance and the Who initiative under different terms. Some are giving it as uh, entirely as paid for donations. And maybe there are other contracts with uh, manufacturers like uh, Pfizer and Moderna, who I believe now that uh, the supply from India is uh, restricted, they are chipping in and in the next few months, uh, their vaccines would uh, reach Africa. So this lack of planning, not pre-ordering, and pausing the export because your own country is falling short, like Jess said, has affected other countries who were relying on India for vaccines. Like the African Union right now could miss the target to vaccinate 30 to 35% of its population by the end of 2021. And just to be clear, Gavi, the Global Vaccine Alliance, is not the issue here. It is the lack of planning that is the problem. Frankly, the idea that uh, particularly under the Gavi Alliance, the Global Alliance under WHO, uh, to share vaccines with countries who wouldn't get access otherwise is a fantastic idea. I mean, in this fight, everyone is together. So if we have to have a measurable uh, impact, then this vaccine should reach across the world. You can't leave out any pocket and then expect a lasting impact. But at the same time, the issue is that uh, all these ideas, and uh, as you said in the story, that the idea was fine, the idea was good. But to implement that, uh, we had to do the math, and the math was very simple. And uh, there were only two manufacturers, so you know the supply. You have already set your domestic vaccination target, so you know the demand. And then uh, I believe that there was very little room to mess up this situation. But unfortunately, things have messed up. In fact, experts and some government officials that Jess spoke to were bewildered at how things could go wrong when the calculation was so simple. And as of now, Jess says it is really unlikely that India would be able to meet its own target of vaccinating 30 crore people by July. Because we are in the end of the first week of May, so we have less than three months to go and we have vaccinated so far a little over 15 crore, that is one-fourth of the target. And uh, our daily vaccination uh, rate is slowly coming down since we reached the peak in early April. And any turnaround, if at all, will take time because both Varad Biotech and uh, Serum Institute, they are talking about enhancing their production capacity, but that won't happen before late June or mid-July. So this deadline, I don't think... There is any serious consideration at this moment of meeting this July deadline to vaccinate uh, 30 crore people. But in the coming months, maybe in the fourth quarter, we may have enough supply to continue with the vaccination drive uh, at a rate that is uh, necessary. And about other candidates, so the government has now allowed vaccine import. Uh, even Sputnik, the first uh, to hit the market, may not be available here uh, before June. And the COVAX, that is uh, Serum Institute's second candidate, that if it goes through the uh, trial and the earliest it is expected in the Indian market uh, is in September, perhaps October. And next we talk about the BJP. 
Indian Express's bureau chief Ravish Tiwari for the past few weeks has been having conversations with people within the BJP and the RSS about the ongoing crisis brought on by the second wave of the pandemic. In a previous episode we had spoken to him about how people within the party are being inundated with requests but are not being able to help even their own party workers. This time we asked Ravish how people within the party are reacting to the crisis now. whether they think the right kind of criticism is reaching the prime minister and whether they feel he should be addressing citizens right now ravish the second wave of the pandemic has continued to rage on and with no signs of abating now you have been speaking to people within the bjp and the rss how have they been reacting to this national crisis so the last time we spoke that time i had spoken to smaller uh, functionaries in the ruling party and they were underlying how they are feeling overwhelmed but they are foot soldiers on the ground so they were getting requests for oxygen bed or remdesivir so and after that the prime minister had spoken to the nation and then he highlighted what all efforts are being made for on the front of oxygen for the bed for the medicine and other things so there was a hope that the situation will improve and that's what everybody in the government in the responsible functionaries were hoping but the situation still looks as grim as uh, if you look at newspapers it doesn't seem to be there is an end to this current grim situation so they are clearly now feeling that uh, it's going on for too long and uh, but since they are senior functionaries they are responsible they have skin in the game if you ask them why uh, what happened where did we commit a mistake or was there some omission so their alibi is it was too sudden a surge it was too unexpected it was too surprising in intensity so the alibi is uh, still that it the surge was not predicted and could not have been predicted and any arrangement would have fallen by the wayside under this kind of surge but uh, they know that it has gone on for too long and the other thing is and we have done pieces about it as well that there were clear signs that were ignored about this wave right So in your conversations with people within the party how much do you gather is the problem that the right kind of criticism is is not being able to reach the top leadership especially the prime minister So there are a couple of things people are hesitant to speak within the BJP and RSS openly on this uh, citing the their that in the middle of pandemic all hands should be on the deck instead of nitpicking right now what happened so let's look forward and try to do the, that's the one part that everybody is trying to figure to suggest the second thing is they are saying that the intensity was not predicted so even the best advice that could have been given would not have anticipated the intensity the surge with the way it has happened so that the intensity is where they are saying that i don't think so they are not still trying to find fault with the leadership because they're saying that this kind of surge is unforeseen anywhere so within a fortnight you jumped from 1 lakh daily cases to 3 lakh so this was too massive a surge so they are saying that whether the inputs were there or not they're just discounting that they don't want to engage with that question but there are some people who are saying that this is where the professional expertise that the uh, people those who are supposed to feed into the leadership for decision making should be held accountable because if you look at the graph the it slowly started building up from uh, mid february but if you talk to senior functionaries they are saying that there reminds that the prime minister held the first meeting with the chief minister in mid march 
so in a way he had flagged it whatever the risks that were coming the only thing could have been that probably the intensity was not known but this is something that they are holding on to clutch knowing fully well that they are making these arguments to in a very defensive fashion we have never seen senior bjp functionaries they have gone from one crisis to another even in this term itself whether it was uh, the kashmir post 370 dilution ca farmers protest you have never seen bjp leaders or the sang leaders or government minister that defensive in this instance they are defensive but they are saying that we are defensive because we need to act right now and deliver results to ease the situation and when you speak to people within the bjp and within the rss is there a difference in how they talk about the current management and even criticize it is is there a difference there no the difference you will find that those who are in the government so they are who are in the government so either ministers but people outside the government who are in the bjp or the rss but are in responsible positions there is a bit difference so those who are not in the government are relatively more open to express that more could have been done or we should have been more proactive or there have been we should admit there were some omissions if not deliberate so those things they are ready to say that those within the government they are still not ready to concede they are hiding they are using the alibi the way the sudden unexpected surprising and the level of the intensity so that is the difference that you find but the one common theme between them is that uh, whether you are in the government or outside the government but within the party and the parivar there everybody is still rallying behind with the prime minister and they are they are supremely confident the prime minister is working overtime behind the scenes to get things in place to control the situation so on that point everybody converges that in this situation he may not be visible on the tv screens but he's working and you will see the results so that's their hope their confidence and they are banking on that that a uh, situation will improve in coming weeks so that this the pictures on newspapers televisions will become a, a distant memory and and the fact that we are not seeing the prime minister on tv too much or not hearing from the home minister is this something that people within the party are concerned about do they feel that that is something that the leaders should be doing just addressing people and calming their fears so there is a divergent opinion there one segment which says that the last time it was necessary for prime minister to come out and speak because it was a new situation and not every administration at the state level local level would have been alive to the challenges so he had to step out and bring out a sense of urgency that's why he needed to come out more often in the first wave but uh, in the second wave people at every level of governance knows that what virus can do so you don't need to say that a red flag after one point of time and so you don't need as much of the prime minister coming out and saying that instead they suggest that the prime minister need to be working behind scenes getting issues of coordination between ministries and the state governments and central government and making arrangements at international level work on those fronts so and like one leader or one minister said ye kaam dikhane ka waqt hai bhashan dene ka nahi so they're saying that let's our work speak for itself to catch up with the the pandemic while another section says that he still remains the most uh, heard voice in the country and words of reassurance and trying to explain facts and bringing a full broader picture to countrymen would be more reassuring so there is a divergent opinion on this 
and i think the government has chosen that let's work and once the results get visible then probably they'll it will be more appropriate time to start speaking to the public this is what it appears at the moment and in the end we talk about assam it has been decided that himanta biswa sarma will succeed sarbananda sonowal as the next chief minister of assam on sunday sarma was chosen as the leader of the bjp's legislative party in the state and he is scheduled to take oath as the chief minister at 12 pm today the decision was announced by union minister narendra singh tomar on sunday after the newly elected legislative members of the assembly ratified it and unanimously elected sarma as the leader in the middle of speculation over the next chief minister both sonowal and sarma was summoned to the national capital late on friday on saturday bjp president jp nadda home minister amit shah and bjp general secretary bl santosh also held separate meetings with them indian express's abhishek saha writes that himanta biswa sarma has been arguably the most influential politician in northeast india as of now and the bjp's key man and troubleshooter in the region he is also the convener of the northeast democratic alliance which is a bjp led alliance of the regional parties in northeast sarma has been actively involved in politics since he was a student and was with the congress for over 20 years two former congress chief ministers of assam hiteswar saika and tarun gogoi had mentored him in 2015 he joined the bjp and was the main architect behind the party coming to power in the state next year four years later he again played a crucial role when the bjp and its allies swept the lok sabha elections in the seven states of the northeast winning 17 of 24 seats during the pandemic sarma led assam's efforts and frequently made news for personally overseeing hospitals and quarantine centers showing up for surprise checks late in the night though he is not alien to controversies and there have been allegations of corruption in the sarda and louis burgess scams against him also during this poll season sarma was often criticized for his polarizing comments attacking the bengali origin muslim community of the state and mp and perfume baron bajruddin ajmal sarma's wife rineki with whom he has two children is a media entrepreneur and the owner of a prominent news channel called news live You are listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can tweet us at Express Podcasts and write to us at podcast at IndianExpress dot com. 